0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, Episode 5, brought to you by SciTech. My name is Leon, and I'm a presenter here at the SciTech Planetarium, and I'm going to be taking you on this week's night sky adventure. This recording is time to take place at 7.30pm on Saturday, May the 2nd. However, you can take this outside any time over the next few months, whenever you can see the moon in the sky. So if it is cloudy in your area tonight, don't panic because the opportunity to listen to this recording will come around every month. You should know the drill by now. You should be outside, wearing warm clothing and a little bit of bug spray. All ready? Excellent. Let's go stargazing. As you might have guessed, tonight we're going to be talking a lot about the moon. We're also going to have a look at a new constellation as well. Let's start by looking at our constellation. Let's live a little, you know? What I want you to do is to turn and face to the west. Remember, if you need a reminder, this is the direction that the sun sets. So all you need to do is remember where the sun sets relative to your house and face that way and you're facing west. And there, I want you to find three stars in a straight line that make up Orion's belt. There should be about a handspan above the horizon. Now, if you've listened to a few of these audio guide recordings, you might remember that Orion used to be much higher up in the sky at this time of night. You might also remember that Venus used to be out visible in the northwest as well, but now it's gone. It's moved so far in its orbit that we can't see it anymore at this time of night. See, the sky changes. Looking back to Orion, remember we have the three stars in the belt, and just to the right of the belt, about two finger widths to the right, you should see a very obvious red star. We've talked a lot about this star. This star is called Betelgeuse, and it's going to guide the way for us. Because now, I want you to hold out your right hand, put your thumb over Betelgeuse, and stretch out your fingers as far to the side as you can. Just past the end of your pinky, a little bit more, you should see two bright stars standing almost straight up and down in the sky. The bright star at the top should look somewhat reddish and orangey. And the star underneath should look slightly bluish in color and a little bit fainter. The reddish star at the top is called Pollux, and the bluish star at the bottom is called Castor. These two stars are named after the twin brothers, Castor and Pollux, who are characters that appear in many stories from ancient Roman and Greek mythologies. And the stars in the sky represent their faces. And about halfway back towards Betelgeuse, you should see a few more stars strewn about and these represent the feet of the twins. So they're kind of standing sideways in our sky as we see them. And your imagination can fill in the rest. And all up, this constellation is called Gemini, which you've probably heard of. Just be careful not to confuse this constellation with that of Canis Minor, the small dog, which is currently sitting directly above Gemini in the sky, and also recognisable by two prominent stars. We talked about Canis Minor in Episode 3 of this audio guide, if you want to learn more about it. Remember, we've heard that a lot of stars come in pairs, or groups of three or more. Well, brace yourself, because the star that we call Castor, the blue star at the bottom of Gemini, is actually six stars, all close together, and it consists of three pairs of two stars all orbiting each other in a complicated arrangement pollux the red star at the top has a nice close to home story firstly pollux is a giant star about 10 times wider than the sun it has run out of fuel in its core and it's starting to swell up as it starts to consume material around the core and Leah spoke about giant stars in last week's Audio Guide episode. In 2006, astronomers discovered a planet orbiting Pollux. And the natural question arose, what should we call it? Well, as this was happening, three Western Australian organisations, the University of Western Australia, Curtin University, and the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research, were working together on a separate project called the Skynet. And this working group suggested the name Leda, who was the mother of Castor and Pollux in the stories of mythology. Unfortunately there's already a moon of Jupiter called Leda, and an asteroid as well, so it would be confusing to have yet another object in the sky called Leda. And so the name Thestias was suggested instead. Thestias was Leda's father, and the name Thestias means daughter of Thestias. So technically the planet is still named after Leda, which is pretty cool in my opinion. Scientists from Western Australia named a planet 340 trillion kilometers away. Now let's talk about the moon. I'm not going to tell you where the moon is. You should have no trouble finding it. As you can see... Tonight, the moon is just past its first quarter and moving into its waxing gibbous phase. Remember, gibbous means it's more than halfway lit up and waxing means it's getting brighter. So tomorrow night more of the moon will be lit up and the next night even more and so on and we will have a full moon on Thursday, May the 7th. You can see the bright looking surface is punctuated by darker areas called the Lunar Maria which are actually ancient lava floodplains from volcanic activity long ago. About four billion years ago, giant asteroid impacts crashed into the lunar surface, causing subsurface magma to erupt and fill the craters that were gouged out by the impacts, eventually forming the dark areas we see today. And remember the cool party trick, closing one eye and holding out your hand you should be able to cover up the moon with the fingernail on your pinky. Now keep in mind, the moon is actually quite big. It's about the size of Australia, but it's also really far away, about 384,000 kilometres. And that's a big distance. People just aren't good at grasping how far away that really is. So I have a challenge problem for you to think about. Imagine the Earth was the size of a basketball and your task is to firstly answer the question how big would the moon be by comparison and secondly how far away would it be i'll tell you the answer at the end of this recording interestingly because the moon is smaller and less massive than the earth The force of gravity holding things to the surface of the Moon is a lot weaker than the gravity holding us down here on Earth. In fact, it's only one-sixth as strong as that on Earth. And this means that doing things on the Moon is six times easier than doing them on Earth. You can jump six times higher, and you can lift six times as much weight. And this is very handy because I'm sure you've all seen footage of the astronauts walking around on the Moon in those big clumsy spacesuits. On Earth, those spacesuits weighed as much as a fully grown man. But in the lower gravity of the moon, they only weighed as much as a four-year-old child, which is much easier to carry around. And all of this was put to a fun test by the astronaut Alan Shepard, who was on board Apollo 14, the third mission to land people on the moon. He was a keen golfer, so when he went to the moon, He took with him a couple of golf balls and a specially modified golf club. When he was out walking on the surface of the moon, he took the opportunity to test out the special golf club and hit a couple of golf balls. And in his own words, he claimed to have hit the golf balls miles and miles and miles. Now realistically, in those big clumsy spacesuits with limited mobility, The distance the ball travelled was probably much more modest, maybe a few hundred metres. But that did get me thinking. Today's best golfers can drive a ball more than 300 metres on Earth. On the moon, with everything being six times easier, then in principle, a professional golfer swinging a perfect hit could hit a golf ball more than two kilometres. So there is a speck of truth to the story, which is quite amusing. Now of course, the astronauts weren't there just to muck around. One of the important pieces of science they did while they were there was to deploy seismometers. They were trying to answer the question, does the moon have moonquakes, like the Earth has earthquakes? And the results that have come back indicate that the moon does have quakes, but they're mostly small rumbles caused by Earth's gravity tugging on the moon. not big, violent tectonic activity like we get here on Earth. And scientists are very clever. By listening to these rumbles very carefully, they can hear the rumbles repeating themselves, like the echo you get when you talk in an empty room, where the sound bounces off the walls and back to your ears. What's happening on the moon is these rumbles are bouncing off layers of rock and metal deep beneath the moon's surface. And so even though we can't dig all the way down to the centre of the Moon, scientists have been able to determine, just by listening to these rumbles, that the Moon has a very small core made of iron, which I find absolutely fascinating. But let's now address an even more serious question. Where did the Moon come from? In the bigger picture, our Moon is a bit of an oddball So far, around the eight planets in our solar system, we have discovered 204 moons. And of those moons, all but three of them orbit the gas giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. So of the rocky planets, Mercury has no moons. Venus has no moons. Mars has two moons, but they are tiny little things that look like potatoes and they're only about the size of Perth City. Now Perth is a nice place, but remember what I said. Earth's moon, THE moon, is the size of Australia. It's huge, and scientists wanted to know where it came from. One idea is that it came from the Earth. The thought goes that the Earth used to spin so fast that part of it just broke off and was flung into space, and that formed the moon. This is a nice idea, and it makes a very obvious prediction that the rocks from the Moon and the rocks from the Earth should be identical, since they had a common origin. A completely different idea is that the Earth and the Moon formed separately in different parts of the solar system. And then one day they got close enough together that the Earth captured the Moon with its gravity. And this makes exactly the opposite prediction it predicts that the rocks from the moon and the rocks from the earth should be completely different, since they would have had a different origin. So it's simple, really. What I want you to do is to go to your garden and pick up a handful of dirt. Yes, I'm being serious. Pick up a handful of dirt and let it run through your fingers. Now, go grab a handful of dirt from the moon And compare it to the handful of dirt that you just picked up from your garden. If they are the same, then that tells you that the moon and the earth formed together. And if they are different, then that means the moon and the earth formed separately. Very easy. And that is the real science that the astronauts did. They collected rocks and soil samples and brought them back to the earth. In fact... That was actually the very first thing Neil Armstrong did when he stepped onto the lunar surface. I mean, well, technically, the first thing he did was say his famous line about one small step and so on. But the very next thing he did was reach down and grab a rock and put it in his pocket. This was called the contingency sample, so that in case there was an emergency and Neil and Buzz had to get back onto the spaceship and fly away in a hurry, they at least had one rock to make the whole trip worthwhile. And so, by studying rocks from the moon, scientists have learnt that they are about four and a half billion years old. Almost as old as the Earth. And, in some ways, they are almost identical to the rocks from Earth. Especially with the amount of oxygen they contain. But, in other ways, they are very, very different showing different amounts of other metals. And so this is very confusing, because they're too different to have formed with the Earth, but they're too similar to have formed somewhere else. So rather than proving one theory or the other about the Moon's formation, it rules them both out. It seems that the Moon has a mixture of Earth rocks and some other material. And there is one more fascinating clue. The Moon rocks are basalts which are a type of rock formed when lava cools down and solidifies. And this tells us that the moon used to be as hot as lava, which is pretty awesome. Remember the game we used to play as kids? The floor is lava, which I admittedly still play from time to time. Well, we're dealing with the scenario. The moon is lava because that's what the rocks are telling us. And this has led to the modern theory called the giant impact hypothesis. The name is pretty suggestive. There was an impact, and it was giant. What we think happened is that the Earth formed without the Moon, and about 4.5 billion years ago, not long after it had formed, it had a very, very bad day when it was hit by another planet-sized body. For simplicity, scientists call this hypothesized object Theia. And scientists love smashing things together. We're very good at it. So scientists have been able to figure out that if Thea was about the size of Mars and smashed into the Earth at a glancing angle, then the collision would have sheared off the surface of the Earth and completely destroyed Thea. Most of the heavy materials from Thea would have sunk down into the center of the Earth, leaving behind a whole lot of rock and a little bit of iron blasted out into space around the earth and this material would have been so hot that it melted into lava and condensed into a molten ball made up of a little bit of earth and a little bit of thea and what little heavy metals this molten ball contained would have sunk down into the middle and formed a small metal core and that is exactly what the seismometers and the studies of the moon rocks have discovered. So for something so beautiful in our sky, the moon had a tremendously violent beginning. But something else is odd. Look again at the maria, the dark parts on the surface of the moon. Rocks from those areas are younger, slightly less than 4 billion years old. And why is this puzzling? Well, look how many of them are dotted across the surface of the moon. Remember we said the maria were formed when asteroids slammed into the surface of the moon and caused volcanic activity to erupt? Well, scientists can make very accurate estimates of how often the moon gets hit by asteroids. And no matter how you count them, there just seems to be too many big asteroids hitting the moon about 4 billion years ago than would be expected. And we call this unusually high number of asteroid impacts the Late Heavy Bombardment. And this has led to an amazing rethinking of how we think the solar system changed over time. Scientists still aren't sure exactly what caused the Late Heavy Bombardment, but they think it has something to do with Jupiter and Saturn scientists are quite certain that they haven't always stayed the same distance from the sun. So Jupiter and Saturn, the two heaviest planets in the solar system, have dragged each other around in a chaotic cosmic dance. And this played havoc with Uranus and Neptune, pushing them further away from the sun towards the outer solar system. And as they moved outwards, they dragged large numbers of comets and asteroids inwards, hurtling them down into the inner solar system, creating the late heavy bombardment. Now scientists still need to do a lot of work on this idea, but think about it. We started with a handful of dirt. By grabbing a handful of dirt from the moon and looking at it very closely, scientists have been able to figure out how old the moon is, put together a pretty decent explanation of how it formed, and also tease out some clues about the evolution of the outer solar system billions of years in the past. And that is astonishingly impressive for a piece of dirt. To really narrow down the details, we're going to need more samples from the moon. And that means either sending robots to go and get them, or sending people back. Now, the days of the Apollo missions are long over. But the current plan by NASA is called the Artemis program, which has the goal of landing the first woman and the next man on the moon by the year 2024. I really hope they succeed, and I guess only time will tell. Well, that's it for this episode of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy. Tonight, we learnt a little bit about the stars Castor and Pollux, as part of the larger constellation of Gemini. We also learnt a little bit more about our closest celestial neighbour, the Moon, and how scientists are carefully putting together the puzzle of where the Moon came from. By the way, if the Earth were the size of a basketball, then the Moon would be the size of a tennis ball, and they would be 7.5 metres apart. Your homework is to recreate this in your backyard. And remember, knowing stuff makes you cool. Good night, everybody.